Hi listener, Frank here. This is me jumping in before the episode begins, just to say that we have our first Drawn to the Flame event coming up, and I'm going to record a little bit more now and put it at the end of this episode. So if you're interested in a London-based Arkham Horror event, make sure you listen to the end of the episode. If you're one of our listeners who's nowhere near London or couldn't get to London anytime soon, sorry about that. And to everyone, enjoy the episode. Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast all about Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hello, Peter. How are you? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, in fact, I'm really good. Uh, it was, wasn't great last week, but feeling good this week. I'm very glad to hear you've recovered in the long intervening time between last week and this week. What are we talking about today, Frank? Well... This week, I thought we could do return to uh, a series that we began many moons ago that we dubbed Esoteric Devices, which is where we took particular cards from the game and looked really at them in closer detail and thought about what ramifications they had for Arkham Horror. Because as we know, it is a card game, but it also has these RPG elements to the game, and we've seen so far in this game that Matt Newman hasn't been shy about really breaking down our expectations of what is the game, what isn't the game, what's permitted, what's not permitted. So I thought we'd do one of those episodes. That sounds good to me. What, what cards are we going to look at this time? In our first Esoteric Devices episode, we looked at Adaptable and we looked at Delve Too Deep, these two cards that all uh, relate to experience. And I think that this is a area where Arkham is different from any other game I've really played you know it has more in common with RPGs on computers or the kind of classic RPGs than it does with card games and so it's another pair of cards that have something to do with XP and they are Strange Solution and Archaic Glyphs. So these are once again cards that it would be very hard if not impossible to replicate in other card games they directly uh, interact with how you build decks, aren't they? Yeah, and interact with your campaign log as well. Which is something unique to Arkham. Should we read them both out before we go any further? Yeah. Shall I read the first one and you can read the second one? Please. So, Strange Solution is a one-cost asset with a single wild pip and it has the subtitle Unidentified. It is item and science traded and has the ability Action... Test for intellect. If you succeed, discard Strange Solution and draw two cards. Record in your campaign log that you have identified the solution. By all accounts, it should not even exist. It's an asset that lets you draw cards, which is which is fine. But then it's a four-difficulty intellect test that costs one resource and one action to play, and then an action to use, which only draws two cards. So in terms of the yeah. card draw, it's not worth it. Yeah, it's it's not a card draw powerhouse. Is it's it? not no. What it does do is it at least uh, it provides you it replaces itself if you use it for its ability, which is nice. It's it's okay. not like yeah. finding the solution uh, is wasted time. 
Yeah, it's time neutral. Yes. Obviously, there's that massive elephant in the room of recording your campaign log that you've identified the solution. But before we yes. rush down and look at that, let's just look at archaic glyphs as well, because there's probably some things that we can say that apply to both of them. So this is a zero-cost asset with a, an intellect icon. It's item occult and tome traded, and we know that occult is an important trait and we also know that some people like tomes as well. And it has the subtitle, Untranslated. As an action, discard a card with at least one intellect skill icon from your hand. Place one resource on archaic glyphs from the token pool as a secret. Forced, after the third secret is placed on archaic glyphs, discard archaic glyphs and gain five resources. Record in your campaign log that you have translated the glyphs. And it takes up a hand slot. Similar-ish to the solution, you're spending multiple actions to play it and to do something with it. And it gives you some sort of a return. But not a great return. This is four actions. Unless you're playing as Daisy. Then you've played a single action to play it. And you've maybe used your tome action on three successive turns to just chuck intellect skill icons from your hand. Yeah. And you end up with five resources. Yeah, which, I mean, it, it's not, again, it's not a resource powerhouse, especially in Daisy, who has other ways, easy ways of making a lot of money. But it's it's worth bearing in mind. Yeah, yeah. And again, there's that elephant in the room of recording in your campaign log that you've translated the glyphs. And I suppose in terms of esoteric devices, these, these episodes, that's what we're really interested in. It's worth remembering when Strange Solution came out. So Strange Solution came out at the beginning of the uh, the Dunwich Legacy cycle. And when it came out, we had no idea what adding You Have Found the Solution to the campaign log would do. There was lots of speculation as to whether it would change, it would reference something in, this, in the scenarios themselves, or yeah. whether it would be cards you could include. No one knew. Uh, and in fact, uh, there was an FRG article that teased this at the beginning of the cycle. We've since found out what it does, and actually Archaic Glyphs works in a similar way, which is that it unlocks some higher experience cards for your deck building. It hints at the fact that the campaign log, even though that's for the entire party and to record things that you've done from the scenarios, it also suggests that in future we might see individual investigators need to record things that have some ramification for their deck building, but not for everyone else's deck building. And we, they could mess with this in future, where if something gets written in the campaign log, it could change the cost of XP for everyone in your party, or it could stop another person from taking certain cards, or things like that. It really just hints at the idea that the campaign log is not simply write down whatever you did in your scenarios. It's also, you know, you can interact with it, you can get things written down there. Once you've written that you've identified the solution or that you've translated the glyphs, that's useless for Zoe or for Mark Harrigan. It's not. It doesn't matter to them, but it's yeah. something that's sort of personal to your investigator's journey and it's a, a record of something that you've done, which I, I really like. So do we want to look at some of the cards that we can then add due to translating the glyphs or finding the solution? Yeah, please, yeah. I'll read out the solutions... And mm -hmm. then you can have a look at the glyphs as well. Okay, so yeah. the, the solutions, we've got three options, and they all have the same body of text. 
which is that you can only include this asset in your deck by upgrading it from strange solution unidentified and only if you have identified the solution in your campaign log. So once I've found the solution, I can then spend however many XP to up upgrade strange solution unidentified to this card. And it's worth remembering you need to have the unidentified solution in your deck in order to be able to... Mm. Otherwise, you're spending an extra experience to swap back in Strange Solution Unidentified and then upgrading it. Yeah, there was a little bit of ill feeling the first time through Dunwich, wasn't there, around, you know, people had identified the solution in the first couple of scenarios and got rid of it at that point. And then yeah. they found out they actually needed to keep it for the upgrades yeah. when we got to where Doom awaits. Oh, that's why we need a, a, a rogue uh, seeker, isn't it? So they can have adaptable in oh, their deck. Wow, the power. Oh, I know. Um, okay, so so there are there are three, and they're, they're similar except for the effects. So we have a restorative concoction. Uh, this has two willpower icons. It still costs one, and it's four experience. And this has uses four supplies. Action, spend one supply. Heal two damage from an investigator at your location. Then we have acidic echo, which is also one cost and four experience with two combat pips. And this has uses three supplies, so action, spend one supply, fight. Attack with a base combat skill of six. This attack deals plus two damage. And finally, we have the freezing variant. Uh, again, one cost, four experience, two agility pips this time, and four uses. Action, spend one supply, evade. Evade with a base agility skill of six. So, broadly, we've got one that heals, one that does damage, and one that evades. Yeah. As we know about Seekers, they tend to be... They have lower physical stats, so they might have higher willpower yeah. or higher uh, uh, higher intellect, but generally not combat or agility, at the moment anyway. So I think the two more common uses of this is to grab the Acidic Echor or the uh, the Freezing Concoction. And of the two, yeah. the Acidic Echor is probably a bit better because, you know, if you can kill an enemy, you don't need to evade it. Yeah, completely right. With either of them, going up to a base value of six is great, but most Seekers can probably get up to six evade at a push themselves, either with hyper-awareness or with some of the icons from Fieldwork and Pathfinder and things like that. But getting up to, to six fight is a real hard ask, I think, for all of them, unless they're packing overpower and things like and this, that. And especially, this this gives extra damage, which is really good. So it's dealing three damage. Yeah. Before that, you've got mind over matter, where you could be doing hits of one damage at your intellect value. And I've got a plan where you could maybe be do a, a sort of a burst of four damage, but it's it's only a, it's a, an event, so you only can have two of them in your deck. And then, yeah, the step between those sort of explosive moments and then suddenly having the, the acidic echo, which makes you... Certainly, I've seen it make Seekers the most reliable damage dealer in a group, suddenly. Yes, yeah, which is kind of crazy. Fascinating, the sort of step change. How do you feel about how hard it is to get to that point, though? And, or, or do you even feel it's hard to, to get to that point? Sorry, get to which point? To go from no XP to having two copies of the Acidic Icor in your deck. So the, the challenges are, and this, this applies to Archaic Glyphs as well, is finding the card first time round and then then having the time to find the solution or translate the glyphs 
which is e even more difficult with the glyphs actually because it's we're looking at three actions that's a whole turn yeah aside from just playing it and the fact it takes up a hand slot that's one scenario you have to do that one scenario you have to make sure you find it so you probably want two copies in there and it's taking the slots of other cards yeah. uh, and then you have to have you know eight experience which can happen early maybe happen a bit later so we're looking at mid campaign at the earliest maybe the last few scenarios generally which is quite the commitment isn't it to to put in a card that you're you're really saying to the rest of your group if you're playing multiplayer i you're going to have to carry me until i can get to to this point where i'm suddenly a powerhouse i mean it is in seeker which is the faction which can draw cards but there's always the chance that you never draw it yeah. So you'd never get the acidic ickle. Or if you do draw it, then you're too swamped with enemies to be able to, to do some alchemy and find find the solution. Yeah. I The other thing I've seen is when I've been playing two-player, the seeker might want to be identifying the solution, but they're the one who's doing the, the, the main clue getting because the other person is a fighter. And so they don't actually have the downtime to be busy identifying the solution. They're... they're their work is cut out for them and the other the other character is busy protecting them. You almost want the other character to be able to spend the time, you know, chucking in intellect icons for the glyphs or something like that, which obviously isn't possible. I've I've done this solo as well, where I've one of my goals has been to trans uh, to identify the solution first scenario and spend my first four XP on acidic icon to sort of shore up that seeker weakness. I have managed to do it once. You have to be fairly selective about what which scenario you play first so that you have enough time. And I think actually Curtain Call really plays into that. Yeah. That if your plan is to do that, Curtain Call can give you the time to do it, which is interesting. Yeah, well, should we talk about the glyphs now? If, if, if you have a read of the glyphs. Okay. Now, one massive caveat, listener, is we're recording this when the Pallid Mask is out. There's still a chance that there might be more glyphs in either Black Star's Rise or Dim Carcosa. I don't think there will be, but there might be. So if that happens, we'll have to add an addendum to this episode. Anyway, the ones we have so far. So they are similar to The Strange Solution in that they have a shared bit of text. They're both two cost. They both have, uh, they're both three XP. They're both spell traded. So they lose item, occult, and tome, interestingly. You can only include this asset in your deck by upgrading it from archaic glyphs untranslated and only if you have translated the glyphs in your campaign log. The first one is Guiding Stones. It has willpower and intellect icons. It has uses three charges and you can spend a charge as an action to investigate. For every two points you succeed by, discover one additional clue at your location. And this takes up the arcane slot. And then the second one is Prophecy Foretold, which has an intellect icon and an agility icon. It has three charges as well, and as an action and spending a charge, you can investigate again. And if you succeed, you may automatically evade an engaged enemy. This action does not provoke attacks of opportunity. So that's our glyphs. Yeah, uh, one of them definitely jumps out to me as, as already fitting in a Seeker archetype, which is the Guiding Stones. And I read out this because you can, with cards like Higher Education or Deduction or whatever, you can really pump up your 
your intellect very high. I mean, people start with very high intellects anyway. Daisy's got five intellect. So, yeah. you know, and she often plays both Milan and Magnifying Glass. Suddenly, you're, you can be, without too much investment, you can be quite a way over the, the shroud of the location. Uh, and using a guiding stone then lets you get a huge amount of clues just with one action. Uh, we've seen the power of this ability with Rex, uh, but he can only he only gets one extra clue. Guiding stones can get you as many as you as you want, as high as you're willing to to boost the test. Yeah, sometimes what you want to do as seeker in low shroud locations is just clear it as quickly as possible. The clues are you, you're going to get them eventually, and you just don't want to waste time with them. Mm. And sometimes if you have to take three intellect one or two tests in a row just to clear out a location you can be unlucky and hit a minus five or a tentacle and miss out. And it's it's just like, oh, that's annoying. And what you want to do sometimes is just move into one of those locations to just smash it. You hit a zero and you get, you know, three clues in one go and, and move on sort of thing. And this, this really allows that, doesn't it? The other thing that it definitely feeds into is when Min is trying to clear the king in yellow. That yeah. most often I've seen the Min player clear king in yellow with an intellect test of some sort. And yeah. normally, Min is miles over the threshold and just trying to avoid pulling tentacle. Well, if if, if she's at four intellect and she needs to commit what six matching icons, that puts her on yeah. ten for whatever test she's she, she's performing. So unless you you need to just you're doing a wild evade or fight action, yeah, combined with with uh, the guiding stones, it's a really really good good way of clearing that, isn't it? Yeah, even if you're pulling a minus three there, you're still your final score is seven, so that's still two clues on a four shroud location. You know, you're two you're two points over, even there, which is which is great. You've got a deduction out of it. Prophecy foretold, I think, is is more situational, and really, what you said about the freezing variant probably is worth bearing in mind here as well. Seekers have problems evading and having other ways to evade can be quite useful we've seen in carcosa that evasion has become more useful than before it's worth remembering with the prophecy foretold that it says spend a charge investigate if you succeed you may automatically evade an engaged enemy this action action does not provoke attacks of opportunity remember that it doesn't replace the investigation so you still gain the clue so it's a way of investigating even when you're engaged with enemies. Yes, yeah, and it, so, so it saves you an action to get rid of that enemy if you could even do it and lets you investigate when you would otherwise get an attack of opportunity as well. So there is a nice, there's a nice little bit of action compression there as well, isn't there? Yeah. And I like that you could move into a location where your teammate is engaged with an enemy and then rather than then engaging the enemy off them and trying to pass an evasion test, you could just move in and spend a charge from Prophecy Foretold to get a clue and evade the enemy. Okay. Well, we, we sort of talked about the cards. I think every, a lot of what we said to Strange Solution also applies to Archaic Glyphs. What I think is most exciting about these cards, from my point of view, is the potential for further shenanigans. We've already seen with Archaic Glyphs, the glyphs could be translated by anyone who can take the card. So, you know, Min could translate it and then Actually, because it's a spell and it uses charges, Akachi could use the card. I don't know whether either of them are necessarily very good at Akachi, but the opportunity's there. It opens a door for more wild things that we might see in the future. Maybe the upgraded cards are even of a different faction or a different card type to the original. 
Well, there was always that hint, wasn't there, with Akechi that she could take the level zero version of the archaic glyphs, and if the higher ver- higher level version was a spell, she'd be able to take it as well, which is which has come true. It's just not a great spell necessarily for her. I think you're completely right that the shenanigans, we've not really got to the bottom of, of how many shenanigans there are as well. The sort of the options for how cards can evolve. The sort of the sub-quests that you can take an investigator on to see if they can get these very interesting, strange cards. I think just the fact that they're hard to get into your deck, that they have various hoops to jump through, poses a challenge to the player straight away. You know, Do you want to try and do this thing? Will it help your, your deck? You need to sort of plan ahead to a certain extent, which I think is, is interesting. There's a, I suppose there's a, there's a game going on outside of the game itself. I remember when, when in a recent play, which was Min and Zoe, she had, the Min player had two card slots and they were either going to be Glyphs or Strange Solution. And we talked about all the possible outcomes as well, where if you don't see that card in the first couple of scenarios, is it worth keeping? Or do you upgrade it into Pathfinder or some other card that you definitely want in your deck? And so there was that plan that we made. And then it was, well, let's look at the XP versions before you decide which one you want, because there's no point keeping one if you actually don't want to take any of the upgrades. Yeah. And working out, well, you know, do you really want the restorative concoction do you want the freezing variant is that actually going to be of use for you you know you're you're making all these assumptions about what you're going to face in the campaign and spending time thinking and scheming which feels very seekery to to spend your time doing that if you compare it to adaptable that seems so classic rogue to go oh actually i need to make some changes i'm rolling with the punches here whereas seeker is much more i'm going to scheme i'm going to plan i'm going to analyze all the possible bits of information at my fingertips to make the best choice okay did that make sense or am i just no no that made perfect sense i I, I didn't have much else to add though just as we come to the end of thinking about this i've got a question for you do you think this sort of discovery mechanic where you have to record something in your campaign log will continue to be purely the domain of the seekers that they have subquests or do you think we'd ever see this as a possible thing for say, a Guardian where if you've defeated X number of enemies during a scenario, you can record something in your campaign log? I think that's that's a very good question. Thank you. Did Matt mention something about this on our, our interview with him some time ago? He did, yeah. He wanted these powerful cards that were quite hard to get hold of for Seekers. Yeah. I, I think it, there's absolutely scope to do that there. I think the there's nothing that would require stretching or changing in order to make a card like that in a different faction. I don't think it would even fit outside of, of colour pies or whatever. And you could even tie this into things like uh, weaknesses for characters, maybe weaknesses that get stronger the more you play, the more you, you, you face them, or weaker. I think there's a lot of scope there for, okay, yeah, for this, this yeah. mechanic of recording something in the campaign. Like we, we, we mentioned this at the beginning. There's a lot of scope for that to do whatever you want it to do. It's a very flexible way because you can write whatever you want in the campaign log and then reference it however you want on the cards. Yeah, that's very true, yeah. It'd be really interesting to see if there was, say, a burglary-style card for Rogue that, yeah, recorded you being sneaky and that that was your, your goal. Because the other thing we've seen in Carcosa 
is keeping tally marks for how many times you chase the stranger. Yes, exactly. It's also such a simple way of just recording it. You just keep a tick and how often you've investigated the stranger or defeated the stranger will have some lasting effect to your campaign. I'm excited to see where they go next. I mean, I'm excited to see what happens. I don't want to try and second guess Matt. Uh, I'm sure whatever he's got planned is, is interesting. So yeah, maybe we can quiz him about it again if, if he comes back on the podcast. That would be great. And we'll have to wait and see if there are more archaic glyphs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope this has been useful, interesting. If it's prompted any strange thoughts for you, a listener, about things that one might record in one's campaign log, why not send us an email? We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook with Drawn to the Flame and Twitter, Drawn to the Flame. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere, so that's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter and Discord and uh, the Arkham Horror LCG subreddit. So say hello if you see me in any of those places. How's card of the day going? It's going well. It's going well. We're cracking on with... Uh, what are we on now? Unspeakable Oath. I had, had a... Okay. N- well, not too long on. ago, I had, had, a, had a, a bit of a... Well, we went through, what's it called? Echoes of the Past where we've got five composure cards and then four desperate skill cards. And, and, and they're, <laughs> yeah. they're great cards. Desperate cards are interesting, but because of the way I do it, we did them all on a separate day. So it got a bit, it was a bit of a drag towards the end. <laughs> People didn't you were have feeling any a bit coins desperate to make. towards the end. It got a bit desperate yeah. towards the end, that's right. Yeah, see my comments from three days ago. It's always the risk, isn't it? How can people get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter as FBEPH underscore BEE, and I'm around the place as Zooey Glass or Zozo. If you're ever on Arkham DB and see any of those FAQ entries, I'm collecting emails of rulings from Matthew Newman and from the FAQ and adding them to the FAQ pages of Arkham DB. So that's me doing them, and that's where they're from. They're from the words of Matt, essentially. So yeah, you can always. I don't know if you can message on Arkham DB. You can always. Feel like you're in touch with me by seeing me writing these things. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay, hi, it's Frank again. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I'm recording this later. Sorry if the audio is a little bit different. It's very snowy where I am in London, which is kind of wonderful. And I'm just adding this little extra bit at the end of the episode to tell you about Drawn to the Flames Labyrinths of Lunacy event. So what do you need to know? This is on Sunday the 25th of March. So essentially a month from now, just about. It's going to be from midday until about 4 p.m., And then the people who come are more than welcome to come to the pub with me afterwards and we'll unwind after and talk about how we got on and things like that. And it's going to be at Dark Sphere, which is a game shop in Lambeth in London. And probably the most pertinent piece of information that you want is who can attend. And I'm going to be running the Labyrinths in epic multiplayer mode, which means I'll have space for 12 investigators, which means 12 players. So it's really a pretty small event. Just 12 people can play. I'm not going to play. I'm just going to run the event. But yeah, it's it's going to be 12 people. The reason it's only 12 is that I am able to get hold of three copies of Labyrinths of Lunacy. And each copy supports four players. And the most people you can play with is 12. So if I could get hold of another three copies, I'd run 
it as a 24 person event but i can't at the moment i can only run it for 12. Um, in case you're hearing this and thinking that labyrinths of lunacy is on general retail it's out and released i'm afraid it's not it just happens to be that i know people who got copies at gen con and i'm able to use them so that's the case there so at this point you're going how do i book you know sign me up or you're going whatever i don't care about this if you'd like to book email drawn to the flame podcast with the subject line event in capitals and that will sort your email into the right place as you know there are only 12 places so it's going to probably be first come first served and i'll definitely do a wait list and i'll check in with people that they can make it and let people know on the waiting list in case things work out of course if you don't make a place to play Labyrinths, but want to come to Darksphere on the 25th of March, you're really welcome. The It's not a sort of a sealed event or a private event. Obviously, don't come and distract the Labyrinths players, but, you know, by all means, come and play Arkham yourself. Say hello, come to the pub with us. That would be great. What I'm going to do is on Facebook, I'll put an event page and I'll put all the information on that page so that you can go through. I've already written up a kind of FAQ of things about it. And I think that's probably easier than going on and on here. So yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. Please go and have a look on Facebook. We'll probably put a link to that on Twitter. If you're not on Facebook and you want more information, by all means, write to us at drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com with the subject line event, and I'll happily send you the email with all the information. So yeah, really hope there are 12 people out there who want to do this and... Yeah, looking forward to your emails. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.